Hi there, Purpose Claremont. Uh, I just wanted to share another one as we're moving through Read Scripture, the Read Scripture plan and Read Scripture app. Um, and if you've read today's, um, kind of a rough read. Um, I mean, Deuteronomy's been pretty, pretty amazing. And then you get to this part, um, verses 21 to 23, and it gets difficult again. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I thought... Well, why don't we why don't we just deal with it and talk about it once again as we get to the difficult parts of scripture? Um, I I just start, I just started thinking. So, what do we do? Like, what do we do with these passages um, that are just different and difficult for us? And so, um, everything from like Deuteronomy twenty one, starting verse ten, it says, "When you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God gives them into your hand, and you take them captive, and you see the." You see among the captives a beautiful woman, and you desire to take her to be your wife, and you bring her home to your house. Uh, she shall shave her head and pare her nails, and she shall take off the clothes in which she was captured, and shall remain in her house, and lament her father and her mother a full month. And after that you may go into her and be her husband, and, be, and she shall be your wife. But if you no longer delight in her, you shall let her go where she wants, but you shall not sell her for money, nor shall you treat her as a slave, since you have humiliated her. So you take that and you go, as I'm looking at it through my 21st century United States of America, white cultural lenses, um, I look at that and go, that just makes no sense. It's hard for me to fathom that um, because I just don't see that kind of stuff going around, going on around me. And yet they would have looked and said, well, this warfare thing is kind of normal for us. I'm not going to explain it away. It's still hard. But even in like verse 12, she shall shave her head and pare her nails. It can be a sign of mourning. It'll also be a, a sign of repenting away from like her old life and the and the people that she um associate herself with with which would be um even though even that people that she was that she's from her people they would be um worshiping idols and so it could be like i'm going away from that i'm completely going forward um into judaism and following yahweh and it could have been that um even at the end though but if you no longer delight in her you shall let her go where she wants and i you, at first reading, it sounds like, well, you, if you marry her finally and don't want her, just get rid of her. And it's not that. It could be like within that month of her living there with you, um, if you no longer delight in her, which would be kind of like you see that she's gorgeous, then, of course, we'll shave her head and um, and then just be with her for a month and see what she's like. And is it all is it all physical attraction? And if it's not, then it says marry her. And if it is, then it's like, well, then... But let her go. Like you don't get to keep her as property and sell her away and treat her like trash. So again, it's still hard to read. <clears throat> um, so there's that one. There's also uh, twenty one eighteen to twenty one, where it's talking about um, how to deal with a rebellious son. Um, and it's pretty harsh that if a man is a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, again, I, I, I'm, I'm really thankful we don't do that today. Again, different culture, different time, um, under the old covenant. Um, I mean, this is thousands of years ago. 
and what God's doing with it is is His thing. And I can't say that I totally understand it all. But what I can see is like a couple of things here and there. One that this undisciplined son and rebellious son is not listening to it, it means that they've approached him. Um, father and mother must both agree on this. Um, was another one, and they don't get to f- they don't get to fill, um, fulfill the punishment on their own. They take him to the elders, so it's like taking to court, and you let the elders decide as they listen to the evidence and they see what's going on. And so again, it's not just like this; just get rid of him as quick as you can. And then I was reading uh, a commentary that, and it said this: it's from the the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says no record in the Bible or in extra biblical literature has come to light. Um, come to light, which indicates that this punishment was never carried out. So it's like when you look at the other parts of Scripture or anything that's outside of Scripture, it never shows that any, that this had to be um, carried out or fulfilled. But it was set up. And so what do we do with this? Again, so we have to approach these passages remembering that this is a completely different time of life where what the Bible shows as responding to these situations Many of the other cultures around the Israelites did the same thing. And so this would not have looked different or weird to them, um, even though it looks different and weird to us. So what do we do? We move forward understanding that in the law, there's the civil law, there's the moral law, there's the ceremonial law. The ceremonial law would be all the sacrifices that are presented before God for the forgiveness, quote unquote, the forgiveness, knowing that all those sacrifices point us to Jesus. There's the civil law. This would be part of the civil law. These are laws that were specifically for the Israelites to follow. Um, and then, then there's the moral law and the moral law would be, uh, like you look at the 10 commandments and those are a moral law that, um, and if you think about it, what if, what if we as a nation would just simply do the 10 commandments or what if we would just do the second half of them? Um, then I know that there's this riff about God and in God we trust and people, people don't want God involved in, um, our judicial system or morality, but it's really, one, it's really hard to have morality without a higher being that we answer to. But, but if we just did the the last half on how we care for one another and don't don't commit murder, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's property and all that. Um, if you did, and the other ones, if we just did those things for a week, our nation would look completely different. So it's a moral law that we can still find the principles within the moral law and apply it to what God has taught us according to the, the totality of Scripture, but especially now that we're under the New Covenant and the New Testament. So then we get to Deuteronomy 22. What do we do with that? And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I don't have time to read through all of it. But it's just laws concerning sexual morality and how you respond to those things. And there's, so I thought, okay, so what do, what do we do about that? And these, there's, I think I put five things down. I wrote five things down on how do we approach, especially a passage like this that is so difficult, but in the context of this, um, on how to deal with uh, laws concerning sexual morality. Number one is this, we go back to the beauty of the original design. We go back to what everything was like before. So Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15, the Bible says this, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. A helper. A helper for what? Because God, if you look back at verse 15, God had just given a commandment to the man, where the woman wasn't there yet, um, to work the ground and to keep it. To work the ground and keep That's his responsibility. That's what you're going to do. You're going to work the ground. So it's kind of like I'm entrusting creation to you. And you're going to keep it. You're going to protect it. And then the Lord commanded that they... Um, 
said to the man, because the woman isn't there yet, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will not eat, or lest you're going to die. So there's the commandment, don't do this, but here's what I'm calling you to. And then you look at the, you look at how big the calling is, how big the responsibility is. And he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. I got to make someone to help him out. And he makes a woman. Goes through the explanation of what that, of what that process looked like. But a helper. And ladies, I want to make sure you understand that it's not like, well, because you can't, you can't do what a man can do. It has nothing to do with that. If God uses the same word helper to describe himself that he is our helper, it's actually, a, it's actually giving you kudos. It's like a good thing. It's giving you prompts saying, hey, the man can't do this by himself. And so I'm going to create a woman that's to help. And so I'm convinced that women are, women are called to be leaders. Women are called to be ferocious. They're called to have impact. They're called to be passionate and committed you know, just all-out followers of Jesus, where there might be different roles within a home. Both are both men and women are called to lead, and wives submit. Husbands serve and love your wives. That like Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for it. You just look at how God has set up the design, and and He actually goes off the way that the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all relate with one another. Um, especially when Jesus became man, He submitted Himself to the Father. The Father loved Him. Um, even says it after he's baptized. He says it when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. This is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased, with whom I'm well pleased. And so there's this help that the woman's supposed to bring because the man can't do it by himself. And so the two men and woman complimenting one, one, one another, moving forward together, um, with the, understand the man has a leadership role, but it doesn't mean that the woman's subservient. She's a leader and strong and brilliant and intelligent and passionate and just like the man we're supposed to be that goes on and verse 22 i'm going to skip down i'll see verse 21 so the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of the rib one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the lord god had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man and i love that that god created woman out of the rib of a man and he made into a woman so Ladies, you were created in the very image of God, just like any man. So men were created in the image of God. Women, you're, you're made in the image of God. And that he brought her to the man. This was not a chance meeting. <clears throat> but can you just imagine that gift? Like God just coming forward and going, I'm presenting you with this woman. The, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, now watch, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so when you look at, we go back to the beauty of the original design. When we're looking at, when we're comparing to Deuteronomy 22, where God is having to, he's having to deal with the sin of men and women in, with regards to sexual morality. He's kind of like, I want us to, let's just go back. Let's go back to Genesis 2 and go, okay, this is how it all started. Um, there's even at the end of chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1 of Genesis where he's like, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, um, which I think is a great command, <laughs> but be fruitful and multiply. But we want to go back to the beauty of how God designed and, and created everything. Number two, we remember that we have culturally stained lenses. Like we look through culturally stained lenses. So we don't have all of the information. And I, I admit it's hard for me to read these things, some of these things that are in the scriptures. But it's not like I can't, because I don't like it or because it makes me uncomfortable, I don't understand, I don't have all the information, doesn't automatically mean that it's, that it's wrong, that it's, um, that it's incorrect, that it's not worth reading. We, I think it's important for us to read these things, 
But to pull back for just a second and say, but what about, but what about, and I'm right there with you. I get that. But even though, even in chapter 22, verses 13 to 30, where he's explaining, this is, this is what needs to happen. And he gives some situational things, but it's not comprehensive. It's not like for every single situation, because we are the, but what about this? And, but what about that? It's kind of like we want it all set all set in place and every circumstance that could come up, we want it to be represented in the list. Guys, I got to be honest that my culturally stained lenses of how I look at life and how I look in the scriptures, especially it's not just this. I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't relate with arranged marriages. I don't relate with having a bride price. I don't relate when you read through it, this, this proof of virginity that must be presented. I don't relate with any of it. I can't even relate with, hand-to-hand combat in warfare. I can't relate with that because I'm not, I've, I've never dealt with that. I don't deal with arranged marriages. I don't deal with bride price. And so just the same way that I can't understand their culture completely, and I'm looking at Deuteronomy, which is like this quick, it's, it's Moses's last message before the people of Israel are going to begin to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. He's given them a reminder of the law. Guys, they wouldn't understand our culture either. They would think we're absolutely weird and out of our minds. Uh, it's just, it's so weird to try to take one book. And that's, and many would sit in there and go, well, that's because the book's not for us. But it's weird. We'll take other parts of the book that talk about we should love one another, care for one another, show compassion to one another, forgive one another. And we'll say that those are good and applicable, but then we'll go on the other and go, but these parts I don't like, and so I'm just going to get rid of all of them. No. And you may say, well, didn't you say that above when you said, well... There's a civil, there's a civil law, there's a, uh, a ceremonial law. Yeah, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. So I want to take an understanding of the Old Testament, put it into what Jesus did for us, and then live in the new covenant that he's placed us into. <clears throat> and so I know, I know that so much of this stuff can be difficult, but so much of scripture is so amazing. And I just make sure that we're dealing with the, the tough stuff as well. Number three, um, we acknowledge that we're sinners. <clears throat> so men and women, think about it. The only reason you have to set up laws concerning sexual morality is because men and women sin against what it is that God has set up. And we don't want to be like that. We don't, we don't want to follow our own sinful nature. We want to follow the plans that God has set up for us. So it's so easy for us to read into these passages and start thinking, well, there's the victim and there's the victim. And there are victims. There are victims. There, there are victims of rape. There are victims of incest. There's, I mean, there's victims that but the victim's always connected to a sinner who has victimized who has victimized the victim. And then there are times where sin occurs and both and both parties, men and or women, are are engaged in the sinful in the sinful act. And so we gotta acknowledge that we're sinners, that people of all nations, men and women, all nations, all tongues, all ethnicity all ethnicities, we're all sinners, that sin is the root of all of our problems. So even just that one verse, we always use it as followers of Jesus, but it's true that Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person on the planet is a sinner, and we're, and we're consumed with it because it's, it's who we are. We're sinful beings. So we acknowledge that we're sinners. So if you think about it, we go through the list again. Number one, we go back to the beauty of the original design. Number two, we remember that we have culturally stained lenses when we're looking at things. Number three, we acknowledge that we are sinners. Number four, we submit to the truth that God is holy. So when we, understand, when we fail to understand God's ways, we come back to trusting in his character. When I don't understand what it is that he's doing, I come back to trusting in who it is that he says that he is, who he's revealed himself to be. 
So when I'm looking through the pages of Scripture, I want to go back to what do I know? I want I know this about God that He's He's awesome and He's bold and He's compassionate and He's devoted. Um, that He's preexistent. That He's holy. That He's um, He's inconceivable and yet He's personal. He's holy and King and just and Lord and majestic and. He's powerful and he's merciful and gracious. He has wrath. He's just. You start going through the characteristics of God. That's what we go back to. And then as we try to approach the pages of scripture, I'm going to start with his character, especially the parts that don't make sense to me. I'm going to start with his character and go, okay, but God, I know you'd be great. I know you'd be good because of what you revealed through the totality of your Bible. On these difficult chapters, the few chapters in scripture that are a little bit difficult, I don't understand because of culture or background or I don't have all the information. I'm going to submit myself to the truth of who you are, who you've revealed yourself to be through the pages of your Bible. Through the pages of the scripture, I want to make sure that I'm holding on to that before jumping to, jumping to conclusions because I don't quite understand what it is that's going on in a specific chapter. And then number five, we celebrate the fact that God is immeasurably gracious and merciful. We celebrate the fact that God is immeasurably gracious and merciful. So here's the thing. Can you imagine, like when you start reading some, some of these dark things that are in the scriptures, and that's why I'm so thankful that God gave us the Bible and wrote it the way that he did because he's not trying to hide anything. He's not trying to cover up anything. He's like, gosh, life is hard. Actually, there's, there's evil and things are dark and he just kind of deals with it. But can you imagine if God didn't, did not intervene in any way, allowing mankind to just go off and do whatever we wanted? If these laws are set up so that we're actually loving one another, caring for one another, that we're putting other people first, that we were that we'd see a society, we'd see our societies moving forward, our world moving forward in peace and harmony and love and common respect, not taking advantage of it. But can you imagine if if he completely, he never stepped in on anything, or if we didn't believe that God was sovereign over everything, and he's moving and orchestrating things and how that works with sin. I've said it before, it's a mystery. It makes no sense to me. But if we go back to Romans chapter 3, I know we just looked at verse 23, but let's look at 21 to 26. Let's look at all of it and look at this Man, there's a, there's a dismal part that all of sin, that's, tar, that's hard to hear. But start verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Apart from the, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, that propitiates just as a new target of the wrath of God by his blood to be received by faith. This, God putting Jesus forward as a propitiation for by his blood, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We celebrate the fact that God is immeasurably gracious and merciful. He's gracious and merciful to us. Even though we've all sinned and even though we all fall short of the glory of God, he bears with us in his divine forbearance. He's passed over former sins. When he's looking at the Old Testament, those who are under the law, it, is, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. He makes a way that we would, that we would know him. So again, we go back to the beginning because that's where it all starts. When you get to the difficult parts where God's having to throw out laws that are hard to understand, we got to remember our sin is the reason that he had, to, he, had to, he had to make laws in the first place. Laws, the purpose of laws is to show us how sinful we are 
the law, the purpose of the Old Testament, no, not just the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible especially, but God set the law into place to show us that we're sinners, that we need a Savior, um, that we submit to Him as Lord, that we come into a relationship, that He really has confessed that He's Lord, believing that He died across, came back from the dead, call out to save you, and we'll be saved. We go back to the beginning when we don't understand. So the, the five again, we go back to the beauty of the original design. Number two, we remember that we have we have culturally stained lenses. We don't understand everything that's going on, so we have culturally stained lenses that we look through the world with. Number three, we acknowledge that we are sinners. We have to accept that fact. Number four, we submit to the truth that God is holy. Number five, we celebrate the fact that God is immeasurably gracious and merciful. So as I thought, okay, so how, do, how, do, how, do I, how do I land the plane? How do I close this? In Genesis chapter 1, starting verse, just 31, just verse 31, God had finished creation. In six days, he created everything we see, everything we don't, everything we see, and everything we can't. And at the end, at the summation, the summation statement of what he thought of his creation, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And that word good in the Hebrew is the word tov, and that word good means this. And this is, it's so much, it's so deep. It's so much more, it's so much more rich than just, oh, it's good. No, guys, that word good means merry, pleasant, desirable, in order, usable, efficient, friendly, kind, Morally good, excellent, happy, right. God created everything and it was very that. It was very that description, that definition. It was very good. When he created everything, he was created everything good and then we broke it. When we broke it, we brought sin to the world. When you look at the people of Israel for 40 years, they pushed up against the God. They rebelled against God and yet God continued to walk with them. And then he bring, he's getting ready to bring this new generation into the promised land. Guys, he created everything good. He, and there is, so, there is so much we can look around at. There is good, that he's created things that are so good. But his people were sinful. And because of that, God has had to intervene and God has had to step in in order to move us forward as humanity toward societies that are profitable and helpful and um, good. He wants to bring us to that point. But it's in these difficult passages, I just want to encourage you, do not give up on who God is. Don't neglect who he says he is. Um, we look into the pages of the scripture to find his character traits and just l list them out, even verbally, out loud if you have to, so that you can remember, okay, this is who God is. I don't quite understand this because I don't have all the information. I don't understand the culture. I don't understand the mind of God, but I'm going to trust him to help me get through the rest of it on the things that I don't understand so that when he brings me to the things that I do understand, then I can see and I can apply it in a way that's going to be beneficial to me and to others around me to the glory of God. So I'm hoping that's helpful for you. Um, again, it doesn't give all the answers. Uh, there is a mystery to this, walking with Jesus. There's this mystery to spending time with him in the word. There's this mystery and it's a process. But I promise as we continue to go through it and then as we repeat it, we keep doing this year by year, just spending time alone with God, abiding with Jesus in his word, in prayer, in spiritual disciplines. Guys, I'm convinced he's gonna reveal more and more and more and more to where the why of life doesn't really matter as much um, how long doesn't, like when you're hitting the circumstances that are difficult, the crises that are hard, the how long doesn't matter as much, the why behind it doesn't matter as much because you know God. It doesn't mean that it's easy to go through these things. It just means, okay, but God, I can trust you. And so help me. And then when you say help me, we're supposed to help. The Holy Spirit's named the helper. I mean, that's his name. He's the helper. He's supposed to help. When I, If I don't call out to him, I'm not, I'm not asking him to do the thing that he is supposed to be doing in my life. So as we continue to walk forward as a community, spending time through the whole Bible and even the difficult parts that everyone wants to skip, God, guys, I want to make sure that we know 
God is going to be faithful. He's going to show us what we need to see. He's going to reveal more of himself to us. We walk through it as a community, trying to figure this out the best that we can and trusting him in the process. Okay? Guys, I love you more than you know, and we'll talk soon.